So yes, we should. Every once in a while, I get tickled and like call out people by name. <laughs> but yes, we are going to take a detour for two weeks, I think, Lord willing. And this week, I don't know how long this will be, but this week will be the deception of sin. And then next week will be, oh, I can't remember what I exactly titled it, the solution for sin, biblically, obviously. So we're going to deal topically today with the nature of sin and how it is always sin doesn't present itself as something that's going to lead to bad things. Sin presents itself as things that will lead to pleasure and to good things and to or even if you know that what you're doing is clearly not right what Satan and your flesh will try and convince you of is that those consequences that the Bible talks about there, that's not for real. Or that, you know, he's going to let you slide on this one thing. And so I, what I want to make sure we're talking, or clear what we're talking about up front is that we're talking about willful sin here. We all, no matter who you are as a Christian, as, as devout and as, as obedient as you're trying to be to the Lord by the power of the Lord, you're still going to have sin in your life every day. And David calls it presumptuous sin. Those are sins that you you just you're not you may not even be aware of some sin. But what we're talking about here is things you know in your mind are are unbiblical, and that you shouldn't do. And we talked about when we were in Romans 14 about liberty. There's things that are not all. Now we know clear sins. You know, hatred, bitterness, slander, lying, the things that are repeated and clear. We don't have to have a debate about whether that's ever okay. It never is. But there are li- there are things that are liber- that have liberty involved. That is, for one person it would be a sin, for another person it wouldn't. And then, and at the end of Romans fourteen, it talks about whatever is not from faith. That is that you know is sin. And so, if you do something that to you you have it bothers your conscience, and yet maybe you look at somebody else who's a Christian and they're doing the same thing. But if but if you do it knowing that to you it is something that is sinful because of whatever reason then that that becomes sin for you and so we're talking about those kind of willful sins where you the lord an example of that of liberty no what you said that like you are doing the same thing but it's not sin to that well, I'll just say with me, just things over my, and this is, will be the case with everybody, I believe. When you're, when you're first a Christian, and the more you go, the more sin you'll be kicking out of your life. And so things that you, you don't have a problem with in the beginning, as you get more spiritually mature, those things should be, and worldliness is probably just in general the main issue that we all struggle with, especially, like I said, in this, the world we live in now, the country we live in now, with the access to entertainment, with the access to anything through technology worldliness is the battle that we all fight and so just things you know early in my walk were I, I wasn't convicted of that there were sin because there was bigger things going on that the Lord was dealing with and over time you start to realize okay that and it may not even be a real deep conviction of of wickedness it's just this just a it's just futile and a waste of time but all of us see I'm trying to think of a good example with me well, just what we talked about recently with, you know, I've loved sports and football and NASCAR for so long, 
and they were idols, no doubt about that. I mean, I just absolutely lived for football for many years, lived for NASCAR when football was over, and so it's just this continuing cycle of, of my heart was just all, just that's all I could look forward to. And so when I became a Christian, I recognized that, and I struggled against that, and, I, and, I, and over time, I, I've got to the point now where I realize just now for me, to I didn't watch the Super Bowl, and I'm not going to watch the Daytona 500. Things that I back in the past, because it, to me, it's not worth the risk of of becoming idolatrous towards it. I just can't sit there and watch one game or one race. It just it captures my heart, and so that's changed over time, and that's a good thing. That's, I don't look at that as a negative thing anymore. I used to think I used to think when I was spiritually immature, like, come on, I mean, what you know, you're going to take everything from me. But now I realize. That the mo- the more things that he does, that that you don't those things are unnecessary. Not only are they unnecessary, they're they're counterproductive to your Christian walk. Now, those are liberty issues. I'm not saying to anybody that they can't watch football. Why can't you watch one? Are you saying you're no? Just to me, to me, it's like Romans 14. To from faith now, I realize now. I'm not saying I'm never going to watch anything again. I'm always very careful about that because I've said that many times. There's been several times I've said I've realized. How it captures my heart, it dulls my mind, and it, it's just so long before I get to where I'm filled with the Spirit again. I just like I just don't want to do that. I just it's not worth it to me. So, it, but I've been battling, you know, I battle over the years with that. But every every single time, I'm like, all right, Lord, this is it. Never watch it again. It's just like the death nail. Well, why would one car? Well, I'm just using that as an example. One car race, just one car race that you watch, be considered a sin. To me, it is. But why? Joe Gibbs is a Christian man, and he lives in that world. He, so, he, why would so you, and I'm so I'm not. You can't. You mean you, you become obsessed with it? Is that what you mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I just it just dull, more. It's not really even obsession anymore. It used to, it used to, when I, before I was saved. Yes, I was. I, you knew I obsessed about. I mean, my mowers were painted up like NASCAR. My everything was NASCAR, and then football. I mean, fancy football. Watched every game all the time. So it's just that was clear, blatant obsession and idolatry. But as I've been a kind of Christian, the struggle against it has been kind of up and down. And then over the years, like I said, I just realized the futility of it, the 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 waste of time it is. And to me, just personally, it just dulls my mind. It makes me worldly, even just a little bit. It just to me, it's not worth the cost of fighting to be spirit-filled and really sold out for the Lord again where I remember okay. one, thing. one for me now for me and I'm not you know I'm not imposing no, I'm, I'm not imposing that on anybody and I'm not saying I'll never watch again I'm never saying because I know how that works whenever I say I'll never will but just to me that's just one of those struggles that I've had that over time when I first got saved and, and you know I was dealing with cigarettes and drinking and massive wickedness the sports was not even an issue I just and he, I believe, truly, he, he grants repentance over time, and so things change. And he works one thing at a time. But then, it, you know, it comes to a point where, you know, about, I realized real, real quickly in, my, in the Christian life that if you're, not, if you're not willing to give it up, if you fight like mad to give it up, you, right, that pretty much is evidence enough that it's an idol. Like it really bothers you the thought of never watching a Louisville game again, or never watching a NASCAR race again, or if that thought cripples you, or in a sense like you're just like, oh man, that's a horrible thing to think about. That right there demonstrates you got a pull of the heart towards that. And so that, and, but those are struggles you have with each person. And again, I don't impose legalism on anybody, but that's just an example of 
you know, uh, two years ago, three years ago, I would have had absolutely no conscience at all of, of watching a football game in the evening. But now I realize, for me, it dulls me too much. And so now to do it, I really do feel convicted by it. So I just resist it as much as possible. And, and, and the Lord blesses that. He really does. Again, I'm not saying, I'm not saying, because I know it can come across as me condemning any Christian who watches any sports. And I'm not saying that. Because a lot of people I know not only watch sports, but they use it in their sermons and everything else. But if you, I've said this many times too, you, you watch a NASCAR race, okay? Let's say we flipped it on right now. There's, I think the, the Bush series is on, okay? What's Bush? Well, that's beer. And so you got advertising all over the cars. Materialism galore. They're, I mean, there's every, that's their, the whole thing is just gross materialism. That's just a fact. Mm-hmm. Half of them are alcohol. Beer, beer cars or hard alcohol cars now they have bourbon, Jim Beam, and all this other stuff. And then they have women dressed hardly in the monster energy things, and, and those, they pop up all the time now. That's, that was kind of a new thing. They didn't really have those cheerleader-type things that they had in football. They do now. So that pops up. The speed and adrenaline, the machismo of the racing is pride. That's all that is. Car racing is just pride. You know, hey, rec- checkers are records. The whole attitude, just like football. Every time they make a tackle, what do they do? They bang on their chest. They scream to the thing. It's it's just pride. And so you have all the ingredients of worldliness just concentrated in that. And that's not to mention the commercials. So you see my evidence where I'm just saying that, that that's pretty clear that that is potentially very dangerous for a Christian mind and a Christian heart. Just saying. So that makes sense. But over but it, to me, it's changed over time. And, and true conviction has developed and that's a good thing it's a good thing so i don't know how we oh yeah he asked that question got it yeah i'll just say this when it comes to liberty issues each person has you have different struggles than i have and so you may not have that obsession problem that i have that you can and you obviously you can i think you can watch a half of the global game you care less your issues struggle you struggle probably more with other things that i don't struggle with like you walk into a store without buying something I can do that. You can't, you know, there's so everybody's got their own different issues that you have to guard your heart against the things that you know you can can obsess about. Because that's what idolatry is, is your mind just gets so focused on. And I'm telling you, there ain't no Christian alive, no matter how mature you are, that that heart, that fleshly heart, will not, it'll always pull towards idolatry. Always. And until we get our glorified bodies, it will pull. But the issue we're dealing with here today is the deception of it. With how sin, and it's kind of what we're talking about with the NASCAR race, where, where you, uh, with me, I realized how futile and unprofitable it is. And you'll see scripturally here where it talks about the things that we're uh, dealing with here. So we'll just start going through the verses. You have questions, just bring them up. Otherwise, I'll just work through these and then we'll pull some examples from real, you know, our lives. Romans 6.20. For when you are slaves of sin, you are free in regard to righteousness. Verse 21, Therefore, what benefit were you then deriving from the things which you are now ashamed? For the outcome of those things is death. And so he's he's having the Christians look back to the things that they were doing, they were the things that they were involved in before when they were when when it says when you were slaves of sin, if you're a slave of sin, you're an unbeliever. 
And so, I mean, and we, we struggle with sin, but we're not slaves to what sin anymore. What does it mean you were free in regard to righteousness? That means you had no righteousness. You were f- totally oh. free of any righteous action. So if you're an unbeliever, before we were all believers, you were nothing, you were slave to sin, and you had absolutely no righteousness. And we talk about this all the time, that things that even the righteous, quote-unquote, things you do, the good things, quote-unquote, you do, as an unbeliever, you do for your own glory, for your own pride, while denying the God who gives you breath. And therefore, they're full of pride and wickedness, even the good things you do. And so, yes, that means that you are free in regard to righteousness, and you are a slave to sin. And now we are called to be free from sin and a slave to righteousness. We Now that we're Christians and we have the indwelling Holy Spirit, we can do righteous deeds. And you have done righteous deeds since you've been a Christian, I'm sure of it. But you, but the motive, and the motive is for the Lord's glory. It has to start there, and then you do something. Anything, anything you do for the glory of the Lord, the smallest thing in the world, is a righteous deed, righteous intent, righteous action. But yeah, when your unbelievers are just a slave to sin, and so he's he's causing us to look back at the things we were doing. And that, so okay, so now you see for the glory of God. It should be. You're always going to have an intention with what you're doing. It may be. I, mean, I don't think like when I'm helping someone, like helping Ruth, I don't think well, I'm doing this for the glory of God. I'm just doing it because I feel like. Well, I'm not saying. You, that right? I would. I would. You would. You should. I. My opinion is you should press to do it for the glory of the Lord. Otherwise, you're doing it for something. You do. You do everything for something. Right. There's always a reason. And so you want it to be for the glory, because we Christians can do things for our own glory. I mean, I, I mean like a healthy group, I mean, it's not for me. Yeah, and it may, you know, you don't want to overthink every single little action. We know that, but 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 I'm all, I'm very careful in my heart now to 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 ensure, like you know, this is why I constantly remind you guys when you guys give me a compliment or something that uh, anything I did for today was was his doing. That's just reality. So I don't want any credit for it. Now I'm not gonna. I just say you're welcome, or you know, whenever I do the same thing with you, when I give you, when you do something nice, I thank you, but I also thank the Lord because I realize that anything good comes from Him. And so, yes, your motive should always be to seek glory for the Lord, and and that maybe would would give you a more of a biblical mindset when you are helping Ruth or helping somebody else, anybody who who might not be a Christian is your if your attention is all right i want to seek glory for your name you'll be more inclined to bring in god into the conversation and just like you did with that lady on the customer on the thing is that you if your mind is on okay lord i want you to receive glory from this you're going to be more motivated to bring his name up or when they thank you or you know or anything you say praise the lord just you bring him up bring him up the way you know whenever you send me i try to intentionally do praise the lord i'm not doing that to be legalistic or or that's not empty i'm not doing that just i'm really saying that he deserves the praise for anything good that happens through me to anybody this is reality and so yes you should intentionally you know when your morning prayers and getting your heart right you just say lord you know lead me in the way in what you would have me to do and may it be for your glory every that's that's the motive of our heart should always be for the glory of god all the time no matter what you're doing where it says uh, in one of the Corinthians, 
You know, everything you do in word or deed, you do for the glory of God. So that's what our role is. So yes, it should be an intentional thing. It should be, and that takes practice. And you ask him to help you with that too, too. Because you don't want to be doing it for your own glory. No. You don't, because even even presumptuously. Yeah. No, I know. You're not saying, hey, I'm going to go out there. But but I think you need to be, we need to be intentional about doing it for his glory. Because otherwise, your heart will pull towards. And again, we're not talking about every single little little step you take, you say glory of God or anything, but just the things that you do, you're just always trying to bring him glory because he's the one who deserves the glory. And um, so, does that help? Mm-hmm. But here in verse 21, it's, the, it's a rhetorical question, obviously. What benefit were you deriving from the things that you are now ashamed? So we all should be ashamed of things we did before we got saved. You know, whatever that is, that you, you there's that's what repentance is. Is you you come to the conclusion that your what your life is is wicked, what you've done with your life is wicked. And I mean, I got a whole stockpile, a mountain full of things that I can't even think about anymore. And so, but even when the stuff that's not just blatantly wicked, like I said, the things that pop up in my life that distract and you know, just like with sports or whatever. I just sit there and I think, okay, what benefit did I? Am I going to derive from this activity? What benefit? So we're not even talking about wickedness here. We're talking about just what is, what am I going to gain from this? And the answer is nothing. But that's the deception of sin. It makes it make you, you you can easily forget that. All right, we'll move on here. Ephesians five eleven. Do not participate in the unfruitful deeds of darkness, but instead even expose them. And so this is we obviously are talking about sin here. Because it's, uh, it talks about deeds of darkness when you're talking about liberty issues. But you see here it's unfruitful. There's nothing to be gained from any deed of darkness. And so we're not to be participant. So just another reminder that the things that we did before we got saved are unfruitful. And, the, and that's the kind of thing we're just pounding on here in this lesson. Is that that's, this sin will make you think, or whatever, however you get tempted will make you think that if you do this thing, then you'll gain something from it. And and the truth of the matter is it's it's not only unfruitful, as we'll see a little bit later, it's it's corruptive. All right. First Corinthians six twelve. All things are lawful for me, but not all things are profitable. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be mastered by anything. And then verse, uh, we'll read the next one because it's very similar. 1 Corinthians 10, 23. All things are lawful, but not, not all things are profitable. All things are lawful, but not all things edify. And so you, in a sense, okay, and this is where I always talk about in a sense, when, a, when you become a Christian, you become saved, then no sin that you ever commit in the future will ever condemn you. And so in some sense, Everything is lawful for you in the sense that it, nothing will condemn you because all of your sins have been judged on Christ. So whenever I think of these two verses, I always think of that like, hey, I can do anything. And there's some verses in, I think it might have been Corinthians as well, that says, I can do anything. And it might be this, actually these two verses where it might be a different translation. But not all things are profitable. And then there's another one that says, not all things are, uh, I can do anything, but you should not be mastered by anything which we might get, I'm not sure if I include that one or not. But the point I'm trying to make here is that, that in, a, in one sense, 
you will never be condemned for any sin that you ever commit because salvation is by faith alone in Christ alone and he paid he did all the work and so once you genuinely get converted you humble yourself you believe that Jesus is God that he died for your sins was raised from the dead you believe the gospel genuinely in your spirit you're indwelled by the Holy Spirit then you can never lose your salvation so in that sense but but not all things are profitable so in one sense you can do anything you want but again we're not if you do a we did the whole thing on the discipline of God a long time ago where you know because people always ask well if you if you're saved by faith and you, you you can never be condemned and all of your future sins are paid for then why don't you just go out and rape and rob and do all those things that's the question that always comes up and my answer is always twofold first if you're genuinely born again you will not want to do those things so it's impossible it's an actually an impossible situation that when the spirit regenerates somebody he changes your desire from loving sin to loving righteousness and loving god loving christ to um or he changes it from loving sin to hating sin and from hating god to loving god those that always happens with genuine conversion so it's really theoretically impossible but or if you do get into willful blatant continuous sin as a christian and i have then you'll be chastened but you won't lose your salvation those sins are covered they're paid for and so in one sense it's, it says all things are lawful hey you have, you know you'll never be condemned but not all things you can do are profitable and and if again if it's wicked genuine willful wicked sin then you will be end up being chastened by it does that make sense mm-hmm. and then also we're dealing with liberty things here so there's a certain sense in which you see where it says all you know the things that are gray areas they're lawful to you know they they may not be directly condemned by scripture or opposed by scripture but they're not profitable they're still not profitable and again i keep going back to the same example than you know the nascar race i'm not there's nothing in the bible that says that i can't watch nascar and i really and there's christians i know and and like i use joe gibbs he lives in that environment now i wouldn't want to live in that environment but joe gibbs lives in that environment and he and maybe the lord has him there for different purposes so i don't i don't i'm not judging him but for me personally it's unprofitable now it doesn't gain me anything matter of fact it 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 pulls me away from the lord and so even though and again if i turn on a nascar race i don't think I would uh, be it wouldn't be a radical willful sin but but I know it's unprofitable at best all right questions comments all right John 8 34 Jesus answered them truly truly I say to you everyone who commits sin is the slave of sin we talked about that a little bit with Romans 6 20 up there but the point I'm trying to make, and I think we're talking about willful sin here. We're not talking about presumptuous sins of a Christian. And, and I think he's addressing mainly here unbelievers. But I, the, I think the, 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 uh, the point is applicable to us is that when you willfully commit sin, it, it enslaves you. Sin is not neutral. Sin corrupts you. Willful sin. So when you do things that you know you not you should not do, it's not a neutral thing. That is to say, it doesn't it doesn't just keep you. It's just like okay, oops, I slipped, 
it also affects your ability in the future immediately, especially the next time you get tempted with the same sin. You've been corrupted a little bit. You've got it in your mind, hey, you know what, I did it last time and hmm, nothing happened to me, so hmm, I guess it's okay with the Lord. And that's what I used to think. I'm like, hey, you know, I, I was doing things at the beginning of my backslide going, I know this. This used to bother me about six months ago. Jump, go. This used to bother me about six months ago when I like when I really was being devout early on. I'm like, why you know why does it not bother me anymore? I, well, I guess maybe I was just being hyperactive and oversensitive to sin and things. But I recognized I didn't remember these things going. Okay, well he's not. But what I was, it was just I knew it. I knew it that I shouldn't be doing it. But I was trying to make an excuse because the sin was appealing. But then I became, but the next time it came around, there was no debate. There's no, well, you know what, hey, you know, there's no struggle, or there's less of a struggle. And then by two or three times, the struggle's over. It's just a part of your life. That's what's, that's how it is. That's, it just slides in, and you see the argument at first, and the next time the argument's a little less, and then before you know it, you're not even, you're not even considered. And you're a slave to that. You're now in, in bondage to that sin until the Lord helps you out of it. So we'll see several texts here that talk about the corruption that sin causes. All right. Romans 6.16. Do you not know that when you present yourselves to someone as slaves for obedience, you are the slaves of the one of the one whom you obey, either of sin resulting in death or of obedience resulting in righteousness? And so this is Paul writing to the Romans. He's saying, okay, you got two choices here. Okay, you're going to present yourself to as to somebody, somebody as as a, as slaves for obedience, and this is one of the very first post-it notes I wrote when I came out of my backslide after I've really really been through the ringer. I wrote a post-it note I still have it over my desk saying, "You're a slave to Christ or you're a slave to sin." There's no in between. You, those are two those are two radical choices, but that's just the reality of it. You're either going to be a slave to righteousness to God or you're going to be a slave to sin. And what I have underlined there is sin results in death. Obedience results in righteousness, results in life. And so although as a Christian, your obedience does not have anything to do with your destination. It does have to do with your blessing now. It does have to do with your joy now. It does have to do with your, your the fruitfulness of people around you if you want to see people saved or whatever else. Your obedience has a lot to do with that. The Lord will shut down a Christian and will use you for absolutely nothing, take away all your joy, take away the presence of his, his presence with you, and make your life miserable if you have willful sin over an extended period of time. There's nobody here. But you see where the, the issue here in Romans 6.16 is slavery. There's no and it's a hard it's hard to think about it. That it's there's no neutrality here. Either you serve the Lord by his spirit. As a Christian, or you, or you'll be serving sin. And again, we're not talking about just you. you not talking about going out and, and taking crystal meth and ending up in a crack house. We're talking about you can just be doled out by the world and serving whatever worldly thing that they have to offer, whether it be entertainment, running. You know, there's so many different things that you can just have your have your mind set upon that's not the Lord. And that's what I always say with Satan, he he's not necessarily he's not interested really in destroying a Christian. If he'll if distraction is enough for him. 
if he can just get you distracted away from the Lord and his work, he's won the battle already. If you, by the power of the Spirit, we are called to be slaves of Christ. And so... No, yeah, slaves for obedience to God is good. We're called to be slaves of to obedience to the Word of God, to the Bible. That's how. No, that's no either of sin resulting in death. So you're either you're. I'll read the whole thing again. Do you not know that when you present yourselves to someone as slaves for obedience, so you can obey sin or obey righteousness? Those are the two choices. So if you you are slaves of the one whom you obey. So either you obey sin, resulting in death, or you obey righteousness, right. okay. obedience, resulting in righteousness. Okay. So you're either a slave to sin or a slave to righteousness. And there is no in-between. And both are, like, uh, have a snowball effect. The more you obey the Lord, the more you'll be filled with the Spirit, the more you'll want to do more things for the Lord, and you realize that these things are glorious and wonderful and worth the struggle. That's one thing I always tell myself is righteousness is hard. I mean, we're not ever, that's what Pastor Faith says all the time. Nobody says, there's not anywhere in the Bible that says it's going to be easy. And he's right. It is not easy. But here's what I always remind myself and remind others. Sin is hard too. Sin is hard too. It's easy for about five minutes or whatever the first part of it that you enjoy it, but then you end up being a slave to it. And and it's hard getting out of that slavery. It takes takes the work of God to really do it. But you're, but you're total futility, you're a slave to sin, and it becomes more and more and more. I mean, especially if you think about it, when we were unbelievers, how much effort do you put into just, you're on your idols, whatever it was. You just go, 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 go until, and then that's over, and you go to the next idol. It's just nonstop effort, but you're gaining nothing. You're just corrupting yourself. So sin always corrupts, but it's only fun for, it's, sin's fun for about a little bit, for a season. That's why I do it. That's why it's deceptive and enticing. Is that, yeah? I mean, there's a, there's a there's a part of watching a NASCAR race or watching a movie or watching something that you just check your mind out that is attractive to that. But then, but then over over time, you realize it affects your mind and and it affects the way you think. And so, kind of getting back to that point where you were before you you know before you start doing that. Whatever it is, it takes work. So righteousness is hard, but sin is harder in my mind. Because you see here that there is no there's no neutrality, it's corruptive. But same thing with righteousness. It is not corrupted, but it is it is um, it fuels itself as well. And the more joy you have in serving the Lord, you he'll just when he starts doing just incredible things for you and through you. Because I, as I always say, the Lord loves to bring glory to Himself. He loves to 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 uh, do things through you that just blow your mind. But He only does that for people who are sold out to Him. Sold out to Him, which we'll get to here a little bit. Proverbs five twenty two: His own iniquities will capture the wicked, and he will be held with the cords of his sin. And so you see there again, sin and iniquity binds you up. It's not, it's not just I commit a sin once and the next time I'm unaffected by the previous sin you become affected by it. And we just went through how that works. 
James 1.14, but each one is tempted when he is carried away and enticed by his own lust. Then when lust has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when sin is accomplished, it brings forth death. And so you see the process in how that works itself out. You have a desire. That's When you're tempted, it's because you have a desire in your heart. Temptations don't have influence on you if you don't have a desire in your heart. So that's where it starts. And so the desire sounds good. You're like, hey, I got this desire. Uh, you know, it, it, I don't see the necessarily the consequences of it. But when that when that desire is conceived, then you you, you give in to the sin. But then here's the deal that they don't that, that Satan and his demons and your flesh don't tell you that when sin is accomplished, well, what does it bring forth? Death. And so that's always the, 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 the there's a desire, there's a there's an appeal to sin, but it, but you just don't see the back end. And it's incredible how deceptive it is. All right, Matthew chapter 15, we'll read verses 18 through 20. But the things that proceed out of the mouth come from the heart, and those defile the man. For out of the heart comes evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fortifications, thefts, false witness, slanders. Verse 20, there are, these are the things which defile the man. So I underline there, defile the man. You can see see the corruption that the things, the sin that come out of the heart. He was addressing ceremonial foods. You know, they were these these Pharisees were more worried about uh, ceremony or in, unclean foods coming into the body and defiling the heart. And Jesus' point here is that that doesn't food doesn't defile you. That comes into your body. He had declared all food clean. By that point but what defiles you is what comes out of your heart wickedness starts in the heart and then out of the heart are the things that that are the sinful actions that come and then but the point i had here is that those things defile you they don't they're not neutral the sins that that come from the wicked heart are corruptive so i think we we presented here um, clear, clear, repetitive scriptures that you just always have to have in your mind that sin corrupts you. And so that's, I think, it's part of the battle. And when you're presented with a situation where you're like, I got a couple choices here. All right, I could do this or I could do this. You just always have to remember that the, the back end of sin is always going to be destruction and corruption and defilement where righteousness even though it may seem hard it may seem displeasurable compared to the sin immediately will lead to blessing and will lead to the opposite all right psalm 38 3 there is no soundness in my flesh because of your indignation there is no health in my bones because of my sin Verse 4, for my iniquities have gone over my head as a heavy burden. They weigh too much for me. My wounds grow foul and fester because of my folly. I am bent over and greatly bowed down. I go mourning all day long. The reason I have this 
these scriptures here, is that unchecked sin will always lead to this. This is the result of sin. You see that where he says in in the first, in verse three, there is no health in my bones because of my sin, for my iniquities have gone over my head, and and eventually, as a heavy burden, they weigh too much for me. So although sin is appealing up front, there is absolutely no way in the world that you can ever commit willful sin for an extended period of time that will not it will not lead to this. And he says, this is David talking, my wounds grow foul and fester because of my folly. And, and I think this is addressing when he, his sin with Bathsheba, which led to him having her husband murdered, and then on and on and on it went. And then the Lord ended up really, really, really chastening David for that. And the chastening went on and on and on and affected his family history. It affected uh, the way his children acted towards him. And so there's always, always, always consequences of sin. Always consequences. Again, David didn't suffer eternal consequences for what he did, and neither would we, but, but the temporal consequences will make sin not worth what it offers. Any questions? Isaiah 59, 2, But your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear. So the worst consequence of willful sin is it does separate you between you and God. Now, it doesn't separate you in a salvational way. When once we become saved, we are, we are a child of God. We're... We are adopted by Him. We are heirs. We're we're indwelled by His Spirit, and we will be with Him throughout all of, throughout all of eternity. But in a fellowship way, and this is kind of what we were talking about with the forgiveness of sins in Sunday school, that when you do, you know, begin in that example, begin to treat people unmercifully, it'll affect your relationship with God, and He will begin to treat you unmercifully, not eternally, but temporally. And so the the worst thing the the worst thing you want as a Christian or anybody is to lose the presence of the Lord in your life. And the and the more you the longer you're a Christian and the more spiritually mature hopefully we become, we we become closer to him. And so we're we're filled with the spirit and we and what that leads to is joy. And peace, you know, we talked about the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness. Those things are fruit of obedience to the Spirit. But I, hopefully over time you have developed a little bit. If not, I hope you'll continue to pursue that when you, when you do become really, 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 really single-hearted for serving the Lord, and, and He is so far above anything else that is it who, anybody else, or anything else in your life, then you will begin to have this, the spirit-filled life where you just have this never-ending joy that just burns in your heart. You just every time you hear the word Jesus, your heart burns, and you just all you want to do when you wake up is pray to Him. All you want to do is serve Him. You you know your evangelism. You you want to share share Him. You want to study the Word. But that all is spirit-powered, and like we talked about, it's like a snowball thing. And there's a lot of people who 
even Christians among Christians, you know, and I've done this too to other people when I was worldly and somebody would come along and start saying, you know, talking about being zealous for the Lord and everything else. You, you, I would always like, well, you're just, you know, you're, you're, you're too intense or you're too, you can't, it's impossible to be too devoted to the Lord. It's impossible because when you're devoted to the Lord, he keeps you in balance on all the other things, but he does it according to his power and his will. And so it's not like you can be, you know, you hear the saying that there, some people are too heavenly minded to be, to be any earthly good. That's to say they're so focused on the Lord that they're worthless to people around them. That's impossible. Because when you're focused on the Lord and genuinely sold out to him, he causes you to do those things. He causes you to love people around you. He causes you to, to care about their salvation and their, and their soul and you know where they're going and and their position before him or just doing kind deeds to bring glory to the lord like we talked about earlier he causes all that to happen so it's impossible to serve the lord too much cuz he will let you know if you're if you if your focus needs to be elsewhere but the joy that he puts in your heart and like i said I, i'm just working through my own personal experience now of, of there's been so many things that i've turned to for Killing, I could just call it killing the day, you know, like especially in the off season, I would run continuously. That was one of my main things, and it was just to kill the day. And I've become more convicted that that, that was idolatry, and it, it was something I, I just really, really became dependent on to get me through the day. And so now it's, I'm not, it's hard. It's sometimes it's, it's, especially when I first started to really struggle with this, where he, I mean, to be honest, he he caused me to struggle with it. He just started making that reality very painful. And so, and I kicked a little bit at first. It was like, man, can I even have this, you know? Because that's, that's how idolatry works. The first thing you do is you grab onto it. And you're like, what are you doing, Lord? I'm, you know, I'm, I know I'm work, I'm doing good over here, but, you know, I, I know, my, I know my heart's a little bit into this too much, but can I have just this one thing? And for a while, sometimes he'll, he gave me a little mercy on that. But recently he didn't, so it became a struggle in this offseason. I have not run near as much, and that's hard for me. But over time, he's shown me, like we've talked about before, the kind of the waste of time that is anyway. And then even when I struggle a little bit and I suffer, and I just sit there and I pray instead of run. It's amazing. Half hour later, you're full of the Spirit, you're full of joy, and you kind of look and go, okay, yeah, you know what you're doing, Lord. I could have been on the treadmill running and be, you know, runner's buzz and everything else but now i got the joy of the lord and you know this just makes all the difference in the world so not to ramble on and on but just you, you if i could just emphasize the one thing that you cannot be too devoted to the lord you cannot be and he will take care of all the things that you think oh well you know lord i'd love to have more time but we got this financial problem over here and i got this family you know marriage problem over here or i got this problem over here it's amazing that when you just say, all right, Lord, I'm yours. I'm, I'm devoted to you completely. He starts, he'll take care of that in his way. He'll take care of that in his way. He'll take care of that in his way. Because it can be really enticing to think, I would like to serve you more, Lord, but I got all these other issues I got to deal with. First off, the idol there that you're dealing with is control. You think you actually think you have control over anything, and you don't. That's why we've done those dependence lessons so many times is that I want to show you the scriptural futility of thinking you have any any control over whether you breathe the next five minutes or not. You do not. And so, we, so when you have that in your mind, you're like, okay. You realize how 
how powerless you are, really powerless you are, and how dependent you are on him anyway. And then when you become, when you have that mindset, you're like, okay, I'll just, I'm just going to serve you and let you take care of this, all this yourself. And he will. He'll do it. He'll do it. All right. Questions, comments, complaints. Colossians 3.25. For he who does wrong will receive the consequences of the wrong which he has done, and that without partiality. It's pretty clear, I know. Yeah, and so, but this is not this. This is including Christians. So, and that's why my point is always to Christians, other Christians, because I've lived it, is that the consequences of sin, the eternal consequences, yes, you'll never have to pay for them, but the temporal ones you will. With and that's without partiality. Matter of fact, I always, I think that God probably squeezes it harder on Christians because he's. He's conforming them to the image of Christ. And so a lot of times unbelievers will go unrestrained for now. Their payment comes later with, with eternal hell that we don't have to pay for. But but here and now, the consequences of doing wrong are not only without partiality towards Christians. That is to say we live under the the law of the Lord and the consequences of sin. But in, in, if anything, they're intensified. And so we just always really, again, we're, we're not, not, I never try and scare anybody as a Christian to say you could lose your salvation because you cannot. It would be a sin for me to tell you we that you. Have that discussion. <laughs> no, but, but, I, but I do warn you that sin is still a very serious matter for the Christian. And, and, and it's, just, it's, it's just incredible to think about how. Did Sunday school go good last week? It did. All peace and quiet. What was the Oh, what did we do? Can't it wasn't forgiveness. <laughs> you guys never remember. I know. Well, they're all very good. But so that's uh, not a good answer. Well, I don't remember what I did yesterday. Yeah, Sunday's a little... you remember? No, can't remember. Oh, what did we do? It was We're doing the one another's. Wait a minute. Yeah. Let's see. My short-term memory is. Oh, uh, right school. Let's see here. I did, but I don't remember. Uh, greet one another with a holy kiss. Exhort one another daily while it is. Oh, encouragement! It was encouragement. Yeah. That's going to be hard to be deceitfulness of sin. There we go. That's what we're doing now. That's a good verse. I don't know. I'm not sure Say why I didn't again. pull that one up. Say that again. Yeah, read that last one again. That was what we're the dealing last with. One? Exhort one another daily, encourage each other, while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. And that that is a good one. I don't know why I didn't pull that one up. So yeah, we did encourage one another. And that's what we are to do. Encourage. Tyler come? No, he wasn't there. <laughs> he came to church, I think. Yeah. They lasted for until the kids were fit. <laughs> so yeah, you never quite know. But no, it's, it's I they had two. They do. But the the older one is the one who can't. Obviously the babies usually sleep, but the older one doesn't do well in the church service. Oh. So yeah, it was good. 
he does. I think he does really good with Sunday school. And it's very few and far between where we have any disagreement at all. So in Colossians three twenty five, yeah, we talk about the consequences of sin. Applies to everybody, and that's how we'll finish there with Galatians six seven through chapter six verses seven through nine. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, this he shall he will also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. Let us not lose heart in doing good, for in due time we will reap if we do not grow weary. That's a good one. So I think we had that in Sunday school either a week before maybe. And that's one of the very clear ones that... It is really a sobering thought to think God will not be mocked. So if you're a Christian and you think, okay, I'm going to get away with this. God, he, he is perfectly holy and he will not allow willful sin to go without consequences. And so whatever a man sows, he sh- and so I think this is clearly talking about Christian here, you know, <coughs> Christian, these verses here, because it talks about um, first off, if you sow to your own flesh, you'll from the flesh you'll reap corruption. And as a Christian, you can do that. You can sow to your flesh. But the reason I think we're talking about Christian here is because the one who sows to the Spirit, capital S there, that's only talking about Christians. The only ones who can sow to the Spirit are Christians. But and if you do that, you will reap life, eternal life. And so we have a choice as Christians to serve sin or serve the flesh, or to serve righteousness by the power of the Spirit. And you just always remember that the when you're making your decisions on the things that are in your heart that you're struggling with, you just have to really struggle and say, okay, this is going to hurt for a little bit, but it will, it will lead to life. Or sin, well, maybe it'll give you a little pleasure for a couple minutes, but then it will lead to corruption. And, and also in verse 9 there where it talks about don't lose heart. It, it is easy to lose heart in doing good with the situation, you know, with your teeth and the situation Roger's having with his truck and everything. I could tell he was a little discouraged. And it's really, and I get discouraged. I can get discouraged real easy. But you just always remember that you just, what you're working for. Always remember your position before God is your, always, here's what I always tell myself and tell others. Blessed is the man whose sins are forgiven. Your sins are forgiven. That's That really is enough to, to cause us to work through the tough times and realize that eventually, eternally, we'll be, yeah. we will be in glorified bodies. And that's another thing we didn't even bring up here. We didn't talk about rewards, but obedience leads to rewards. That's what Jesus says. Store up for yourselves treasure in heaven. So the, and we've been through that with the, I can't remember which lesson it was, but we talked. I think it was Romans, where we talked about how not only does does obedience lead to peace, love, joy, peace, and all the things, and the joy, but it leads to eternal things that we can't see right now. And so when it, when it gets hard, and when that pull, when that battle against sin gets tough, and it will. I mean, it is it is never going to be a day where battling against sin is going to be easy. But you remember mainly that ultimately. It will pay off eternally. Righteous obedience, even the small, like we talked about, the, just the things you do for Ruth, 
and the things that you do for anybody, if they're genuinely for the glory of the Lord and you're seeking to honor Him, those things count. We're not talking about just the big, you know, go out and preach a sermon, go out and evangelize, which are obviously, you know, things that are good things to do by preachers and things. But the small daily things that you do, even the mundane things you do, how you clean the house, how you treat your dog, which you should be storing up all kinds of treasure. <laughs> Yeah, if you get if you get eternal rewards for how you treat your dog, well, you're gonna be clean. Yeah, you're gonna be clean. <laughs> but but you see what I mean? Where you if you if you if you whatever small things you do, you will receive. And but you receive it now, and it's worth the joy now to serve him. But it's a battle, so don't ever think that this isn't gonna be easy. Because I heard I heard it said many times, the flesh doesn't take a day off. There's never gonna be a day where you can cruise in your battle against sin. But next week, when we get back to this, we'll do part two. We will how to overcome sin biblically, how to defeat sin. Because there are scriptural things that you have to do, and you have to do it God's way. You can't try and say, all right, I don't want to sin now, Lord. I want to, I want to obey you, and I want to avoid worldliness and all these other things, but I want to do it my way. That's not how it works. He's got... Thank God. Yeah, I know. That's called control that we all have problems with so here the lesson is sin corrupts and enslaves always no matter who you are and it's and it and, and sin does not present itself as hey this is going to be horrible for you you know if you do this if you if you waste all your time doing this then it's going to dull you or whatever the consequence it doesn't present it says oh hey look at this this is isn't this wonderful wouldn't it be great to be able to do this it'd be a lot easier now you could you you know I know if you if you're having a conversation and something comes up that you know is unbiblical you could you the real easy thing to do is to keep quiet and not offend anybody but you but you could actually interject and obey and and uh, or I'm saying the easy thing is to be quiet a lot of time a lot of this struggle against sin sometimes is fear of other people yeah. that's where I struggle with where. You hear something and you know, you know what, I have an opportunity here to step into this situation and to defend biblical truth and everything else. But the temptation is the comfort. Like, oh, boy, that, you know what, that just might ruin my day. And you know what, I got all these other things to do. And, and so there's always this, this, but the truth is those things that every time you obey it is the better thing to do. Even if it hurts, even if you don't see immediate consequences, even if you suffer for your obedience. That's where the Bible is replete with verses. If you suffer for the sake of Christ, if you genuinely are suffering because either you're obeying Him or you're speaking out for Him, and people don't like you for it, and they, that's you're blessed. That is that is how you really add up eternal rewards is when you suffer because you love the Lord enough to where you will speak out for Him in a nice way, loving way, but in a in a fearless way. And so, anyway, that is the deception of sin. Lesson part one. Well, there. Isn't that what you call it? Part one. Uh, yeah. Well, next week we'll do the back end of it. Well, thank you for your. Thank you, everybody, for joining us on this podcast. And until next time. Have a good night. Have a good night.